To whom much is given, much is required. Part of that requirement is sharing. Culture is the heartbeat within our lives, and it's at the core of so many things. While we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom, I welcome you to your wisdom retreat at Culture Raises Us. Mitchell Jackson, today's guest, uh, an accomplished, accomplished writer, author whose work has literally been featured on the cover of New York Times, Esquire, uh, Men's Health, and Harvest Bazaar, just to name a few. He's also the winner of the 2021 Pulitzer Prize uh, in feature writing and has published a host of books across multiple areas of importance. Before we get into the additional accolades and accomplishments of this young man, I would love to get your POV on when you hear culture, what does that mean to you, my friend? Man... When I hear the word culture now, I think of the phrase for the culture. I mean, I think it's impossible to be of our age now and not and not kind of market there. Um, but I think if you would have asked me that question, say, I don't know how long that's been around, three, four years. Um, I probably would have thought first of writing um, in, as as kind of things that preserve our culture. Yeah, well. You know, you you have quite the journey. Um, when I look at the fact that you were incarcerated for drug charges early in your childhood, and it was actually there where you took an interest into literature and starting, you know, to experiment with autobiographical writing. Yeah, many would think, like looking at that, um, at your current chapter in the life, that this would never be the starting point. Uh, which I think is a, a great a great example of this culture of perseverance and commitment. Talk yeah. about the moment though that really clicked for you to kind of take on this new trajectory in your life story. Man, I I wish that I could say uh, actually it precedes prison. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's strange because, you know, most people say like, man, I went to prison and I figured some stuff out it. I didn't. I was playing a lot of dominoes. My cousin <laughs> was in here. He taught me how to shoot pool and bring the ball straight back to you. You know, like I was on my push-ups and my dips. Uh, but before that, um, I played junior college basketball. And my junior college coach was actually my former high school counselor. Mm. Uh, and when I finished, uh, was finishing up my second year of JUCO, I mean, I averaged probably 22 I was all league so I'm like oh man I can I can keep this going and he was like hey man what do you think about this academic scholarship over at Portland State and I was like hmm. I'm like what you talking to me about academics for <laughs> I'm hooping I'm a bowler B I'm giving out buckets man give exactly. it out buckets. and uh and and he steered me there and I took that uh, I applied and I received that scholarship and that was the scholarship that they held for me while I was in prison which oh wow right back to school when I got out like I got out July eighth nineteen ninety eight and by September I was back in college so for me that's really the turning point was a person steering me away kind of from basketball and into the rest of my life yo that that is not a story that you hear often in terms yeah. of that type of grace um, yeah. being allotted right like no like literally somebody holding a scholarship or a position or an opportunity for you while you're incarcerated. Yeah, like yeah. that, that is, I mean, that's, that's all God's plan right there. 
You know, mm-hmm. you also, you also obviously with all this, you bring a very, very unique um, and extensive POV, I think, to this, this conversation of culture, even just looking at some of the elements of your upbringing. Was there a particular moment, though, where you realized just how big and instrumental black culture was to overall culture as we know it? Mm, yeah, I think I did a lot. So I feel I'm like second gen hip hop journalist. So like Emil Wilbekin, P. Frank, Wilbekin, ah, my whole co-worker, you know, all those people are that's first gen, you know, Chloe, all of them. I'm the. Daytuan and me, and we're like right up under those people. And so Love I it. did a lot of, you know, I was profiling, you know, all the, I mean, I basically profiled everybody but Nas and Jay-Z. Mm. Uh, and so, so I recognized, I used to do a story um, for Smooth Magazine. It was called Can I Live? But it was a day in the life of an artist. So we would go where they were going. They usually have a, something coming out and we would just spend a day or two days or three days with them and just really kind of figure out how they were living. And I got to see a lot of, like I remember being with T.I. on the day that Paper Trail was released. And like, that's hip hop at its highest moment, right? Like, and he was in New York. I went on his press run, BET, MTV. And I just remember th- seeing how people were responding to him. I had never seen, like we were at BET and Tip was like, man, I'm gonna go get some pizza. I'm, I'm hungry. And people, man, I go get it for you. He's like, nah, nah, I'll go get it myself. So now 15 people wanna go get pizza because Tip wanna go get pizza. He walks across the from BET on 57th and goes to a pizza shop. One person stops, three people stop, seven people stop. By the time Tip finished getting his pizza, it was like 40 people outside of the pizzeria, like, oh my God, is that. And I was like, wow, that's the impact. And this man just was hungry, you know, like. And right. He, he just wanted a slice of pizza. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I got to see a lot of those kind of moments uh, and really a, a appreciation and respect for basically how celebrity is created, because that's not tip. You know, like if you know tip, like he's a I mean, he's not a regular dude. He's exceptional. But like he's not caught up in how exceptional he is. Right. Celebrity of coat the culture of celebrity creates those moments where if he wants to go get pizza, there are now fifty people fishballing them. Right, and and I love how you said that the culture of what would you say the culture of the culture of the, celebrity, the culture of celebrity is is a pretty powerful statement, right? Yeah. Because when you look at what that encompasses, it, it encompasses a moment where the celebrity nature of an individual who wanted to be an individual for a moment, yeah to get a slice of pizza, but yeah. you can see the impact that that yes. has and the disruption that it causes. Yeah. So just now put into context, the disruption that our culture and his music and all the things we contribute now yeah. ripple around in the world, right? When you just talk yeah. about that one moment. So I could see how that moment was a very defining moment for you in terms of looking at how significant our culture is. Yes. And, yeah. and with that, you know, you just wrote this new book Uh, Fly, Mm -hmm. which has received a ton of high praise for its exploration of the intersection between fashion and basketball, which is huge, huge portions of the culture that we've kind of developed. What inspired you, though, to kind of delve into this fusion of fashion and sports? Yeah, I mean, a childhood fascination with fashion, which 
really comes out of a childhood of being impoverished, you know, of seeing Ooh. fancy stuff on TV. I remember watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Remember Robin Leach? That 1,000%. <laughs> Yeah, I am Robin Leach. Leach. Uh, and this is the lifestyles of the rich. Yes. <laughs> That's it. So that, looking at my uncle, my uncle had all the fly stuff. So I was always enamored with that. And then I come out of Portland, which is a basketball rich city. Like, in order for you to make a name for yourself, you got to be good in either, really not even football. You got to be good in basketball, really. Okay. Okay. I, mean, I, I never knew that for Portland, but okay. Yeah, man. Terrell Brandon, Damon Stoudemire. Stoudemire. I Stoudemire yeah. winning Terrell Brandon. Yeah. So so it so it, it for for it to be such a small black community, sports and particularly basketball is really big. And so I had that as a kind of underpinning. And then if you're paying attention now, you recognize how important fashion is or how how important the connection is between fashion and in the NBA. And I think you know, for me, uh, some some people were like, oh, you're going to write the football one or the baseball? Not me. I'm sure someone yeah. will do it. But I think basketball is the pioneer in that space. You know, like if we look back at like who the fly athletes were across generations, it's hoop. And if we look at where the focus is now, it's it's the NBA. And so I thought, you know, it makes sense in this very moment. Like somebody had to be the first one to do it. And I'm glad that I was one, if not the one, the first one to do it. Well, yeah, I think it effectively, you know, captures the essence of a cultural movement, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and, and so with that, how do you see the book contributing to a broader conversation regarding the cultural and societal significance of the NBA and its players way beyond just the court? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because for me, it's, I mean, some people would pick it up and just say, oh, man. These are some cool pictures and 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 they got some words <laughs> in it right. too. But for me, it was, I mean, it's years and years of research. And and each each uh chapter is actually an error of the NBA fashion. And so in order to define an error, you have to define what are the cultural, socio, political um forces that are shaping what people are wearing and how they want to present themselves. And so the, the pictures are one thing, and I'm obviously that's maybe the most important part of the book. But to me, equally as important is this investigation of how fashion comes into being. And it's never just you get up and wear whatever you want. Like there are people right. who are shaping what you can wear, when you can wear, what are the rules, what are going to be the reception to what you wear. You know, like think about I mean, people talking about skirts now, right? Everybody is quick to talk about Westbrook wearing a skirt or Serge wearing a skirt. Mm -hmm. If you go back to first, everyone knows that they they wear skirts in Ireland. Okay, that's cool. That's a cultural. That's a part of Ireland's culture. Culture, exactly. The uh, the macaronis in 18th century um, Britain were men who dressed and talked effeminate. So there's a precursor to what we're seeing now with men painting their nails and wearing skirts and you know and it's this idea of like non-genderized clothing. So, so, but you wouldn't know that if you just looked at Westbrook. So for me, it's like always investigating where does this start and and how does this, everything in culture has an analog that's some to something previous. I love that, that analog to something previous. And it's, and it's a culmination and a melting pot of a number of different things. And I'm yeah. so glad you brought up the Westbrook example where yes, he's been unapologetic about his his style point of view. And yeah. 
he he's incorporated a number of elements from different places, people, cultures to make his own, right? So as you as you categorize it like that, I, I love how that represents the larger conversation around cultures in general, that a lot of them are a melting pot of other things. But there's a core, there's a core in the epicenter that's very distinct yeah. to where it's coming from, but there are elements that kind of uh, influence it some more. So I, I, I totally resonate with that breakdown. And again, very strong correlation to everything that we talk about on this platform of the importance of cultures and where they come from and how they mature and how they develop and our responsibility for them moving forward. And I think for you as a black writer, right? And as an author, as a content creator, I think there's a, a significant role that you now play in moving and positioning culture, whether that's backwards or forwards, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you handle, how do you handle this responsibility of ensuring that you deliver the purest form of content versus mm -hmm. what could be detrimental or exploitive or diminishing in some cases to the culture we live in? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's it's an imperative to tell the truth. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously truth can have several sides, but I think it's it's an it's a it's uh, the, the responsibility to do as much to become as informed as I possibly can about whatever thing I come to write about. And so, you know, I'm a columnist. Right. So like every I'm writing about the fearless fund right now, which is um, the women who have the VC fund that are being t attacked by the same organization that killed affirmative action in the schools. So now he's coming. Oh, wow. Form of affirmative action. Yes. In the form of these black women who grant grant who give grants to um, seed money to other black women and women of color. So this is another. So wait, sorry, I'm sorry. There's an organization yeah. trying to stop them from doing that. Yes, the same guy's name is his name is Harold. Um, yes, Harold Bloom. Harold Good Bloom. gosh. And um, yeah, he he's 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 the main person responsible for taking affirmative action out of uh, emissions in colleges. And now he's he's turned his his ear on these on these black women. Two black women that uh, got a fund out of Atlanta. And so for me, I have to, uh, to write about that, I have to know like, well, what's his history? You know, he's been doing this since 1993. How does he do this, right? Like, where does he get mm -hmm. the deal? Who are the litigants? And I have to look at what what is happening in VC in terms of black women. They're one, less than 1% of the people who have VCs uh, are, are black women. So I got to know all of that in order to develop an opinion, in order to deliver that information, hopefully artfully, to, to someone else. And so it's really a lot of like becoming informed. And then on yeah. my, because I'm a fiction writer first, it's how do I take that information and make it artful? Um, so yeah, man, I, I'm really into creating for me, cultural products. And for me, that's art that everything I make, I want it to be an artifact. Well, listen, you just informed me of something that I was not aware of at all. Um, that just pinched a significant nerve with yeah. an individual or individuals who are actually trying to prevent women from investing in other women of color, yeah. which yes. I hope everybody is listening to this because you also mentioned a stat of, I believe, what is it, 1%? What did you yeah. say, 1%? Yeah, so, less than 1%, yeah. If you have an individual or individuals who are trying to stop something that is so small, in right. relation to things that must show you the magnitude and of importance of why it needs to be done. 
And by no way should we allow this to happen, right? Because if somebody's trying to stop what's so small, but yet we all know so impactful and needed, that means that we all need to be aware of this and ensure that we do not allow that to happen because that's just straight crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And he's been successful several times, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. Well, well, yeah. Well, I think it's it, it, that's also a reflection of, you know, we're constantly dealing with all these other distractions, yeah. all these other things that people are doing elsewhere that we don't get to focus on the things that are really happening that we need to pay attention to, i.e. affirmative action being now pushed out of, you know, society because yeah. we were caught up in all these other antics that were taking place yeah. around us. <clears throat> that we weren't able to focus on. Well, hold up, wait a minute. We can't let them push that through. That's yeah, crazy. Right. <laughs> so, so please, we we need you to do your due diligence in yeah. ensuring that you're informing us, right? Yeah. As you're becoming informed, you're now informing everybody else of what's happening, so that we now also become a lot more educated and aware. Yeah, yeah. And That's so, great. you know, it's actually a great segue because you also recently did the cover story for uh, Men's Health when they celebrated. Yeah their 35th year anniversary um, and, and you sat down with Colin Kaepernick, which again, this all ties very much into this piece yeah. that you were just talking about, who for yeah. me, I think represents a significant part of our culture with what he attempted to do some years ago with his stand against the NFL and you know societal systematic racism. Tell me what that experience was like and your thoughts on his approach to change. Um, that was a... Well, first, I uh, I thought I was going to be interviewing him, uh, and then his people uh, through Men's Health were like, "Colin's not doing any interviews," and so I was kind of I was a little discouraged. And okay. Then I, and then they were like, "Well, do you still want to do it, Mitch?" And I was like, "Well, how much? Like, what do you want me to do?" And I said, "Well, I said I'll do it if you guys let me write him a letter, because I wanted <laughs> it to be something personal." Um, and so. I actually wrote that on my birthday this year. So it was August 16th. I was out of the country and I was like, man, let me sit down. And I think it also, that helped that I was away from here thinking about That's right. happening in America. Um, so yeah, I wrote that letter to him and, and, and it was strange because in the letter, I was talking about all the times that he had announced to the NFL and to the public that he wanted a second shot and how that, how they would take that and then basically rub it in his face. Like you're not, they're not clearly, they're not, I want to go say clearly. It does not seem like the NFL wants to give him another job in the NFL. And mm-hmm. so it, it seemed like it was a way of, for people in power to express their power by denying this man, this thing that he obviously really wanted. And mm-hmm. I wrote in advance of him, like when it when it came out, I remember uh, a week before it came out because I emailed um, Men's Health and I was like, maybe y'all should put this out now because he had released that letter of him trying to get back in, and it was like somebody that got hurt for the Jets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was the first. It was yeah. the first game of the season. Aaron yes. Rodgers went down, and, right. and all the news letter like you know. Yeah. So, and I had been talking about that in a letter. So it seems like I was foretelling the future in that letter, but I, I really wasn't. I was speaking to how this seems like a cyclical thing of the NFL using him as an example. I don't think, obviously, he set out to be that. I don't also think that he could have imagined 
the blowback that he would receive. And the end of the letter is me actually asking him if you had it to do all over again, would you? Um, but I think the thing about him is even if he would have won a Super Bowl or two, which is maybe a stretch, he would not have been the cultural figure that he is now. Now he is an icon. He's not even a cultural figure. He's an icon. Let's cemented himself in history in a way that he would have never been able to do playing just football. But let me ask you something with that, Mitch, to uh -huh. that exact point, because as I'm listening to this, I didn't know this side of the story, right, of yeah. how this whole thing went down with Cap and you yeah. doing this, this article. Do you think his attempts to continue to try to go back into the environment that mm -hmm. he has so well called out as a very yeah. systematically racist system, yeah. but yet he's still making attempts to go yeah. back when for me, he is so much bigger yeah. than that. Bro, yeah. you don't need to be a quarterback in the NFL. You are exactly what you just said, Mitch. Yeah. He's a cultural icon. I gotta be yeah. honest with you. Every time I hear his name come up for a quarterback job, my yeah. stomach turns, bro. Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. stomach turns like yeah. you are way bigger than this. They don't deserve what you offer. And you have yeah. so much more to contribute and do by standing on the laurels of this is a toxic environment and organization that's reflective of systematic racism that takes place across our world. However, yeah. you've called out one of the biggest examples of it. And yeah. why are you trying to go back into that space? Man, it's it. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to, I, 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 I hear you and I think that myself. And then I go, what would it be like to be an elite level athlete and have that passion taken from you? Like, not that you retired. Yeah, yeah you no, no facts. There's, and I don't, I don't know what it is to play in a Super Bowl. You know, like we ain't talking about a dude who was just killing at USC. Yeah, college. You're college. You're giving 22 up at junior college. B, you was that his level. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so I think there's, there's that. And I actually think that he's that optimistic that he actually thinks that he can instigate change from inside. Like, I think mm. part of him thinks that if they allow him back in, it is saying something about what he was able to affect with that protest that like, yeah, I did all these things and they let me back in. And now I'm a catalyst for change on the inside right versus being on the outside of it so i i do think because because it's 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 like for one if you make it to the nfl you probably are irrational in some sense because why did why would you think that you could make it anyway right and right and i think that, that same kind of um um audacity or ambition is the same thing that's making him think oh i can get back in there and then i can really you know I'll and then they'll Everybody will be Facts. listening to me. I can change owners' hearts. Like yeah. the rest of us are skeptics, but the rest of us didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Facts. Yeah. Facts. It, it's a it, it's it's a tough one for me. Believe me, I, I go back and forth with it. But when I saw you cover it, um, mm -hmm. and then I then saw to your point where we then see him, you know, wanting another chance or somebody throwing his name out regarding yeah. the jet job or getting back in, it, it just chips away from what I feel like he created um, yeah. and what he stands for in our history. Forget right. about this moment. Yeah. In our history, that's a significant yeah. point in our history. And with that, I mean, 
you look at black culture, to be honest, as we know it is often borrowed, appropriated or used. Right. And, and this yeah. is a perfect example uh, to, to inspire other cultures and industries. What's your thoughts on the importance now of black ownership and kind of recognition of what it is that the black community has kind of brought to the world? I mean, I think it's imperative, right? Like if you think about what uh, Steve Stout means in the mu music industry, and I, I can't really think, I don't know enough about other industries to know who the Steve Stout is in the other industries, but but what he's doing, I think also because I think music and probably sports are the two most kind of widely disseminated aspects of black culture. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's really important. Like even if you think about what's happening in the art world, like if you look at the top art galleries and they're just now getting um, black gallerists, right? People who are, who are responsible for buying it, you know? So that, that, <coughs> that renaissance, if you will, is why we have Kihinde Wiley, you know, mm. for millions of dollars. It's why we have, you know, uh, I'm I'm blanking on um, what's what's homegirl that wrote um did the um paintings for uh Michelle Obama um oh uh, got a blank as well oh my God well her work um uh uh Micheline Thomas right all these people who are now experiencing you know, the great, the, the, the most, the biggest sales in, in history of black art. We can't get that without having these people in power who are buying, who are selecting. That's right. Advocating. Right. So, so I think that's um, really important. I will say about culture, and this is something I have a conversation with my friends about, that I like that literature is so democratic in a sense that you don't need to be a millionaire to own a Basquiat. I mean, you got to be a millionaire to own Basquiat, but you don't have to be a millionaire to own a book on Basquiat. You know, Ooh. like, you got to okay. be a millionaire to, to, to own a Kihende Wiley, but you don't have to be a millionaire to buy the autobiography of James Baldwin. And so in that way, it democratizes information and it democratizes art in a way that it, it moves it away from being just the, the, the purview of elites. Mm -hmm. I like that. I mean, I think obviously we need that too, right? To because you know art is part of wealth, but then also we need this these other areas of culture which are more accessible to to the masses. Yeah, and it's also it's also more accessible ways into advocating and supporting and yes. reinforcing yeah. their greatness, right? So, yeah. um, thank you for giving that point of view because I I never even looked at it like that. Like, yeah, I might not have one of their pieces, but have I purchased a book? that yes. is highlighting their work, right? Those are yeah. still points of us investing in their long-term generational greatness in addition yeah. to those pieces that go for a million. No, that's that's a good yeah, shout. Look, they painted a, uh, there's a portrait of me that Kihende painted, I don't know, 2005. I do not own it. I probably can't even afford it, but I got- <laughs> So your joint is up in somebody else's crib. Yeah, somebody here with some money. <laughs> with some real money got that but i have you know at home i got you know his books so i i feel connected to it <laughs> you know to a certain that's dope extent. that's dope hey i want to take it back to fly for a minute and mm -hmm. in your in your research for that did you encounter like any surprising or unexpected stories or insights about the relationship between nba players and fashion um stories i didn't really i didn't really discover 
unexpected stories. What I did was learn a lot about the inception of the league and what it was like in the 1940s. And, uh, you know, it started in 46, first black players in 1950. And, And the fiction writer in me or just the empath in me is trying to imagine what it would be like to be a black man in 1950 and have this opportunity at that time, it was only one or two players on the team. I wasn't mm-hmm. that like, and what were you charged? Like, mm-hmm. like hey, this is pre-civil rights, you know? So Man. What does that mean for them? And, you know, they're riding around with the team, but they can't go in certain hotels. So we know all about the Chitlin circuit, but we don't necessarily know what them first black players had to face from 1950 to 68, you know, when when we finally got some, some, some on-the-book civil rights. And so I learned about that. And then there were players who because there weren't so many pitchers back then from the 60s and 70s, I had never seen them in street mm. So And like artist Gilmore, who was fly for a big dude, got the mink on and, you know, the good afro and the mutton chops. Or my favorite, Pistol Pete Maravich. Who I really? Tapes. Yeah, I used to have his tapes when I was young, his dribbling tapes. And he, there's a picture in there of him with a butterfly collar suit on. He got a chain with his, I think his name or his number on. Big Pistol man. Pete Maravich? Pistol Pete in there looked like a rapper from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So wow. that exciting to see players who I hadn't seen in that light before. I hadn't really seen out of uniform. Wow. Well, I, I think, you know, NBA fashion has also undergone like a significant evolution. As you're talking about yeah. the evolution of either from civil rights to to now. Yeah. But to talk about some of the most notable changes that, you know, NBA fashion and how social media and the globalization yeah. kind of influenced. How's that influenced that evolution? Yeah. So I would say where well, there are six eras in the book, the first one, I'll say the major turn was post-civil rights. When we get the 70s, that's when we get Walt Clyde Frazier, who some people say is like, the GOAT of NBA fashion. I actually think it's Dr. J, but I I can ride. Oh, I, I want to have that conversation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into like the heyday, which is, you know, the 80s, which is, you know, games were on tape delay before Magic and Bird started their rivalry. And then that takes us into Jordan, which the fashion becomes, Jordan becomes the marker of fashion. Whether or not you think Jordan is fashionable, he was dictating people. Well, I was oh, just thinking, man, I remember at 14, I had a gold hoop. Like, and I was like, that was just because of Jordan. <laughs> you know? um, no, he he changed he changed lifestyle culture as we know it today. Yes, yes, like, yes. He he cre he created. He was at the epicenter of creating this culture. Yeah. In general, uh, way beyond the court. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I I hadn't thought about. I feel like Jordan is responsible for cigar culture in black 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 people. Ah. Like, I can't think of any other iconic person who's so well known for smoking cigars. I remember he was taking them pictures after he won the championship. He would always have a cigar, you know, and I think about guys now. Like, I remember just being in, in um, New Orleans, seeing D-Nice and them out there, you know, your boy KB. I mean, like, all the, like, cultural figures as a point of celebration, you know, Kevin Lyles, all them dudes. I mean, I was with Al Sharpton for, like, eight days. He's smoking a cigar every day. And I, <laughs> Wow, man, I, I hadn't put that connection between Jordan and cigars, which is really prominent in the 90s. Um, So, yeah, Jordan and then Iverson, right, which is like uh, Iverson and a couple months apart. And to me, he's part of the first generation of NBA players 
that were born into hip-hop. Correct. Like Jordan, that era, they are just a little bit older than hip-hop. Or they're actually, like they were kids before hip-hop really got going. But Iverson does not know an era of Life without it. Yeah. Um, And I think from that hence on, we see that. And obviously, social media has created this latest, you know, proliferation of NBA fashion. So, so wait, you 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 hit it. You hit something. The, 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 yeah. It's the conversation or debate between Doctor J. Yes, and, and, and Walt. Yes. Klein. I got a I got an answer for this, man. I, I've been Please. studying. Please, if you look at Walt Clyde Frazier, who I hope I meet the man. I don't want nobody to. I, I'm probably gonna bump into this man somewhere, and I think this, he is. I, I ain't from New York. I'm yes, from New York. yes. Go ahead. But listen. If you look at what he was wearing in 70, he okay. is wearing a version of that in 2023. 1,000%. With the, the the different designs on him, his hair, like he, I think there's a, there's a certain kind of figure who kind of, I don't want to say they get stuck, but they, um, they value the era in which they were at their apex and they kind okay. of stay in the area. Whereas okay. Dr. J was arguably as fly as Clyde Frazier in the 70s, but has evolved through every era. You look at Dr. I just, they had a pitch. Somebody sent me a picture of Dr. J holding the book of fly. And they were out golfing. He had on some shorts, a bomber and a fitted cap. Like Dr. J looked like he could have been 40 something years old. Right? <laughs> like, and then you see him at all-star weekend judging the dunk contest. He got the good suit on. He got the short crop hair. But you remember, he had the best Afro of the 1970s. Right. Like he, Dr. J and Angela Davis, that's it. Who else we talking with the best Afro? No, you know, no, no, what thousand percent. So let me ask you something. It sounds like you're grading Dr. J and Walt Clyde based off of how they have evolved from the time in which they did shape what yes. that fashion culture looked like then. When yep. it feels like you're holding them accountable or somewhat responsible to still evolve in that Absolutely. essence where I agree with you, Clyde has definitely stayed in his box. But you know what they tell you when you dance me and you can't yeah. dance too well, stay in your box. He stayed in his box. But He's two stepping like a mug out here. Oh, oh listen, he is two stepping like a mug. <laughs> However, are we are we rating that based uh-huh. off of or rating his impact in between the two based off mm-hmm. of what you see now or truly what it was he was doing then? Because dog, talk about what he was wearing then. Oh, oh no, he was pushing the envelope crazy. No question. No question. But I think any okay, I think fashion is art. I think it is turning yourself into a canvas. And every artist has to evolve. They mm. keep doing the same thing. You are mm. not the same person. You have different cultural forces. You have different life experience. If your art don't involve doesn't evolve, you're not an artist anymore. You're someone, you're an artisan who's producing a thing that you know how to make. And so in that sense, Clive Frazier is not an artist of himself, right? Like he was an artist and he got stagnated as an artist because he received the adulation. Like what happens when they tell you you are the best? Like if we get that, if we get a rapper making the same album every time, we don't want to hear that shit no more. Right? I'm like a- you gotta evolve. If you still want to be considered an artist, otherwise you could be something else, but don't call it art. And so for me, that stagnation is a critique 
of artists writ large, not specifically in him. I think if he would have evolved, it'd be a different conversation. I, I you know what? And the way you just articulated that, I, I, I rock with your 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 thesis. I rock with your thought. I, I get in that. No, it, <laughs> we it, it, are in the hearts and minds. <laughs> yeah, it, listen, be, like, and, and that's what it's yo. Give a forum and a space to have a conversation so that yeah. somebody can get educated and informed. You are. You are one of our, our, our lead needed informers. And the same way you just inform me on something like that is what you do in general with your craft and your gift. Because I, you're right, as an artist, it is about evolution. They yeah. can, you can't just stay in the same space. You've yeah. got to continue to evolve. So you're right. It was maybe a tool in that moment that he never grew, developed, let evolve or let breathe more, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And others have. So you know what? Well done, bro. That that was that was well done. Uh, how how do you feel? Do you feel a way when when this culture and I call this culture our black culture uh -huh. is featured or highlighted in platforms or spaces that aren't really contributors to or of the culture? Yeah, yeah. I, it's so strange. I forgot where I was, and they were just playing all black music. Mm. I was like, it's so strange that I'm in the whitest place that I could be and all they playing is hip hop and R&B but it, but it also speaks to like how a certain kind of person or group of people see us as our value in being entertainment right like if you think about what was happening in um Congo Square or New Orleans right where they would people were enslaved but they would let the enslaved people gather in this square and entertain the white people for a minute right like that's mm -hmm. that's the way that white people have uh, and I don't know, maybe not just white people, but people in power have kind of seen us. And so that's our, our value. So I do, it does feel really, really, um, uh, it feels like they're stealing um, yeah. when they do that. And, 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 and then it's like so much of our value and the way that we create wealth and significance is in that art. So it's even more so, right? Like if you're cut off from other means of self-actualization or, means of creating capital and then the one or two avenues that you got like whole said either we got what is it uh all we got is ball or something until we even like if they take that away it's like damn what, bro, what do we have why yeah <laughs> like you already won't let us you only giving us one percent of vc funds oh, <laughs> and oh, now you take that. all the masters of our music you know i mean think about what's happening now in music what's gonna be the long um impact of everybody selling their catalogs to corporations. It's gonna be crazy. Right? Like it's good for them. You know, you get a hundred million for a catalog, but what is what is Sony Corporation good and they're not even buying it. I don't know, these VCs or whatever that are buying people's catalog. What the hell are they what do they care about our culture and what's that gonna look like a hundred years from now? Like that's they're not care caretakers. So I, it'd be mm. really interesting to see how that plays out over the long haul. Listen, that, well, you know, we've talked about this with many guests before on how our, we should own our IP, right? Yes. And, our, and our IP is this culture and all the elements yeah. of it. You were talking yeah. about significant parts of it not being owned by us, but by others. And how yeah. are they going to care for it? So I, yeah. listen, I, I agree and, and hear you a, a hundred percent on that thought of, yeah. yo, we got to pay attention to like, it's great for, that artist or whomever, the family, yeah. whoever owns that and who wants to sell it to make, you know, some pretty generational 
um, significant generational change type of wealth. Yeah. I get it. But for the long-term trajectory of the culture, what is that going to look like? Right, right. Right? How is it going to be used and manipulated and, and leveraged? That's that's the million-dollar question. Yeah. And so, I mean, as you're thinking this, you know, what role are you playing in helping and ensuring that we're preserving and growing our culture in a very healthy, thoughtful way? Um. I think a couple of things. So I'm a professor. I don't even know if I even mentioned that this whole time, right? I teach every Monday. I'm in my classroom. I'm teaching a fiction workshop. And this past workshop, I have one black girl in my class. I have one black person. Uh, this might be the only black person I had in maybe two or three semesters. So it's significant. Oh, wow. And she wrote a story and she gave it to us. And there was a note on top of the story. She said, this narrator is a black person speaking in vernacular. Okay, mm. thank you for the note. So I read the story, and she has a person speaking in vernacular. But she, uh, when you cut off a gerund, so the gerund is the ing on the end of a word. So when people cut off the gerund, they sometimes put an apostrophe. Like if you read the color purple or their eyes are watching God, when they cut it off, they'll put an apostrophe. But I happen to think that putting an apostrophe on the end. So if it's say like, what's happening? Yeah. A P P E. I in, you know, like I wouldn't put an apartment in because to me that marks it as less than standard English or whatever people consider standard English. Ah, Just how my people talk. Like when somebody say what's happening, I'm like, wow, why didn't he say the ing on the end of that? So I told her, I said, this is a political statement you're making. If I put the um the quotation mark on the or the apostrophe on the end of taking off a of gerund, I am saying that I value what white people think about English. And if I don't, I'm saying this is how we talk. And I said, now you can make your own decision, but my job is to tell you this is one way this can be perceived. So that's right. Caretaking the culture is staying in them classrooms. So when I do get one or two black students who are going to be the people we're reading 10, five, seven years from now, that they have that experience because it could be a white person in the classroom that'll never tell them that. And then my other job, is to do stories that I care about. And so, mm. you know, I'm working on a profile about Sharpton, who I think is misunderstood and not well enough uh, known about really what his life is about. I'm working on a my OG, I'm doing a profile on my OG, the first guy that gave me a kilo to sell in Portland. So if you can, I feel like that is a really great indication of like where I sit, right? Like Al Sharpton <laughs> and my OG. And so- That's right. I, Stay somewhere in that pocket and, and, and in all the cases, tell the truth. I love it. So it sounds like you're pretty locked into your why. Yes. Yeah. I feel really good about that because every day I wake up, I don't have to think, how am I contributing? What mm. is it that I can do to help another person? Like my job is necessarily service. And, you know, a lot of people say if you're not hurt serving someone and you, you kind of taking up space or wasting time. And so the great thing about being a writer is it really is of service. You know, mm. it, it takes a lot of effort and it's a lot of time alone. But at the end of it all, it's it's someone you've created something to hopefully inspire or educate or inform or make somebody mad even. But yeah, I am, I'm doing something every day that it feels like my effort is not wasted. And I, I like like this podcast, right? Like you're doing this as a service to other people, man. And that's, that's right. That's, Place to operate from. 
Yeah, and you know, I hope everybody understands that we're we're all servants, and yeah. and we're all passing through. None of this is our own. Yeah, right. Yeah, and none of this is meant to be our own. It's meant to be shared, and it's meant to be, uh, you know, developed, nurtured, um, all the things. But none of it is ours. So that's why it's essential that we. I hope everybody gets to a place of understanding. If we all become servants to one another, what a what a much better, healthier place. Um, and space and just community and culture we can have. Um, so I'm so glad that, that you shared that part of your journey to understand that you're in the service business. You're, you're not in the writing business. You're in the service business. Yeah. So let me add, the, the, the opening scene to your documentary is about mm -hmm. to start. Mm -hmm. What song is playing and why? And then the, the painting that's in the background is finally the, your painting that was done that you do not own. Yeah. So I did a documentary where from my first book. So I came I had a, somebody score it. So it, there's no song, but I, I'm going to choose a song. Yes. Man, that's tough. All right. So <laughs> this is probably not the song that I should choose. But remember when Hove came out, um, uh, Dead Presidents, I think. Yeah, for Dead President. And he had the Pearl GS 300. I don't know if y'all remember this video. He had a Pearl GS300, and that's when the Lexus first came out. And mm -hmm. I, I was in my bathroom counting up, and I saw that video, and I was like, man, that shit cold. I was like, I'm going to get me one of them. <laughs> and I called up a, a, a guy at Prudential. I was like, hey, man, so I'm 19, man. I, I, I got some bread, man. Like, what you think? How do you think I should invest? So he's like, man, I'll tell that young man, if you invest that money, you'll be rich by 30. And then I called up the Lexus. Then I was like, "Man, y'all got any uh pearl?" <laughs> GS you, you went left. You went all the way left. You went left. So we could choose about for presidents to represent me, even though it didn't extend further. Uh, <laughs> Hilarious! Hilarious! And then as a painting, I would say, um. I would say that painting that Kihende painted, and not no, no, that's what I was alluding to. I was alluding oh, to yeah. that. If, if that was the opening scene, we're finally going. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then there we go. Song. This is your song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And we got to have in the background somewhere that pearl gray GSP. Yeah, I had to get it in money green because the the pearl gray was an extra five thousand. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, look, <laughs> man. We 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 always end this. You know, because with the question about, you know, what 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 are the three seeds that you mm -hmm. want to leave with the stewards of culture moving forward? Because we always make the correlation that this is very similar to like farming and mm -hmm. nurturing a crop, right? You plant the seed, yes. you put it in good soil or bad soil, you mm -hmm. water it or don't water it, you fertilize it, whatever, the sun, all these different things contribute to what's to come and blossom. What are the three seeds that you would want to leave with the stewards of culture? Um, to ensure that we're putting it in the right hands and we're equipping them with the right tools. I would want to leave the stewards of culture unceasing curiosity. Mm. Because you'll always be asking why and how and trying to figure out what came before you and how they did it and how you might innovate. I would also bequeath the stewards um, of culture, um, uh, high integrity mm. that you wouldn't just be making things for money. That That's you right. 
know, like everything doesn't have to have a, a, a dollar sign at the end of it. That's right. Um, and uh, I would um, bequeath them passion. Mm. Because I think that's going to fuel you getting better at your career. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I want the people who are creating culture to be the best podcaster, to be the best videographer, to be the best painter, to be the best writer, to be the best musician. Like if you look at um Be the MJ, be the MJ of whatever it is yeah. you do. What's homie? Oh, why am I drawing a blank on homie? Uh pianist that won all the Grammys last year. John Baptiste. Okay. If you look at John Bap John Baptiste is like maybe even on some Jordan level shit. Like he is what happens when you are passionate about something and actually master it as a craft. Like Mm -hmm. I just saw him like 60 minutes. He was taking Beethoven and like remastering it to sound like hip hop, just like improvisationally. Like it's genius level stuff that you cannot get to without a mastery of craft. And so to Mm. me, people of culture need to all work towards mastery whatever that mm. looks in your chosen profession. Listen, man, uh, that mastery ending, it, it couldn't be more appropriate for, I think, how you masterfully kind of walked us through not only your journey, uh, your impact, your, your your vision, your passion. Like yeah. you, you represent all the things that you just shared. But I just want to thank you for it as I even learned more about you even in this conversation um, and we've been fortunate to have built a relationship over the years, but I'm just thankful that you're in your space. I'm thankful that you're going to be one of the individuals that helps to make sure that this culture is captured the way in which it should. And you're informing, informing that word punched through so much when you shared it and all the things that you talked about, yeah. the, the being the informant for us is yeah. critical. And for that, I thank you. And I ask that you keep pushing down the road. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you. I see you in Portland or Ghana or somewhere. <laughs> we 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 gonna build more in person for sure. Yeah. Thank you, bro. We truly appreciate your support because it helps us fulfill our mission of promoting cultural awareness and personal development. Please click the subscribe button below to help ensure and solidify our mission.